Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. Time now for the DenverSports.com front page. Stop what you're doing and listen. Taking a look at the top stories in Denver sports taken from your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. What in the name of Dan Issel? With today's DenverSports.com front page, here's Schlereth and Evans. And by the way, this this works both ways. Russ might like the idea that, hey, before we totally sever this relationship, I might like to see what my options might be out there. Let's let's take a look at what teams, what kind of market there may be for me. I may I may do my research and realize there may not be that much of a market for me, which means guess what? I might be willing to play ball with you guys contractually. I might be willing to restructure. I might be willing to push back dates. That's all I'm saying is that that the the calendar, especially with the playoffs coming up and everybody focused on the playoffs, there's basically a, a league-wide mandate that, yeah, you can fire your coach, but nobody nobody goes out and makes any big moves until the playoffs are over. Don't take the spotlight away from the playoffs. So you've got time. The Broncos have time. Ross has time. Let them both take advantage of this time before we get to where we think and expect it to go. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you think Russ would actively want to be a bridge quarterback next year? Or do you think Russ wants to be a franchise quarterback? I think that's part of what Russ needs to figure out. He needs to look around. Is there a place where he can go where he will be the guy? Or is he looking at a future where he's going to be a bridge guy? And might he decide, well, heck, if I'm going to be a bridge guy, I'll be a bridge guy here. That's a whole hell of a lot of humble pie to choke down from a guy we've never seen do that. There is that would be the biggest turnaround. You don't over think the these last two, two years have humbled him a little bit, Matt? Not really. Really? But yeah, because you know why the leaks coming out of his camp. Look at his numbers; they were as good as Mahomes. Twenty-six touchdowns, eight interceptions. I don't think he's been humbled, not an iota. If he wasn't humbled, does he go out last off season, drop all that weight? He had no choice. Get into right because he knew. He looked in the mirror and said, "I have to do something about this. I just had a crappy year." I got to change some things. And he was honest enough, humble enough to go out and do something about it. We all praised him for it. I'll say this. Russ comes back to the Broncos in the next two weeks, goes, you know what? I'll push my injury guarantee and I'll play ball with you. You can bring me on the show. I won't say a word and you can give it to me for five minutes straight. Uh, whatever. You want me to stand out on the curb and with a sign, Mike? I'm just saying, like, Hold your wait, wait, wait. I'm not, not going as far as a teardrop tat, but I'll just tell you, like, in no universe do I see that as a realistic possibility. And I don't think it's likely either. I put the odds of it at, very, as, at, at being very low, but what I'm saying is that when you hear Sean Payton come out and say, we haven't made any decision and, and we still have some time, he's right. Both sides have some time. There's no rush to... I'm not saying there's to, a rush. To to turn in the divorce, sign I the divorce. Never baby. said there was a rush. So I just said that Sean told us that they didn't want to drag it out too long and they want to get back to him. Why? Because they do want to operate within good faith. They want a good reputation of negotiating. Because why? Their rep just got dragged through the mud by Russ and his camp. And before, if I'm Russ, before I get kicked to the curb, I might like to Take advantage of the time I have to see what's out there. Hey, we should do that. And by the way, we've been we've been talking about the idea that hey, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh could be a great option. Sure. Did you see the Adam Schefter report uh, over the weekend? 
the uh, the possibility, he kind of flowed the idea that Mike Tomlin might be ready to do a, a Sean Payton and take a year off, even though he's got time left on his contract. That. We'll have to ask Adam about that yeah. tomorrow. The idea being that that Mike Tomlin might be ready for oh, well, maybe a little we bit won't. of a break. Okay, so we won't do that. We can do that next week. Or never. We'll, we'll, we'll get Adam's thoughts on that. Uh, Joel Clacken to join us here in just a second. Uh, so let's get to the uh, denversports.com front page. We won't get to all of it, but uh, uh, this was interesting. Sean admitting that he had an embarrassing moment this season mm. where he said he called the wrong play during a game. He's got to get his eyes checked because at one point he called the wrong play. How often do you think that happens? For coaches. That a coach can't see the play sheet. Or that a coach gets caught up in the speed of the game, the, the the frantic nature of what's going on, trying to rush through something, play clock's going down, all that kind of stuff, and calls the wrong play. You, you know, we all see those play sheets. There's so much stuff on that stuff, on that on that laminated, on that uh, Cheesecake Factory Sam's Number 3 Diner play sheet of theirs. You think that it happens? Maybe. It might, but I doubt it. Those guys are so detail-oriented. Sean said that he did that because he literally couldn't see because his eyes aren't working anymore. That was it. That was his point. Do I think it happens? It probably If it happens, it probably happens from the coaches, the head coaches who call plays, not the coordinators, right? The coordinators, you got one job, buddy. For a head coach, no, you got like 50 jobs. You got to pay attention to timeouts and challenges and play going on in the next play. And now, that I could understand why there would be a lot, but I doubt it happens very frequently, and Sean was clearly embarrassed. But I'm glad he told us about it. Yeah, he did fall on uh, some swords yesterday. I also thought that there was some uh, some some things he said that were code for uh, this is why I need a different quarterback. I want to bring that up with, with Joel. We'll get back to some of the other articles at denversports.com. But right now, we welcome in our buddy Joel Klatt, lead college football analyst at Fox Sports. He joins us now, presented by Audi Flatirons. Joel, good morning, and let's jump right in. Uh, looking at that national championship game on on Monday, you you've had a chance to to be with Michigan a lot. You've called a lot of Michigan games over the last several years. Knowing this program, knowing this head coach as well as you do, what kind of uh, emotions were you feeling as you were watching the game Monday night? You know, I I have called a lot of their games. In fact, I went back and counted. I've called 16 of their games in the last three years. Um, you know, not much from an emotion standpoint for them specifically, as much as I felt like it was a really hopeful national championship and maybe the most impactful national championship that college football has had in over a decade, maybe close to 15 years. Uh, or longer, you know, for for that matter. And the reason is, Mike, is is they broke a mold that allows, I think, access or hope for programs all over the country. You know, for, for the better part of 15 or, or more years, it was a very select few number of teams and programs and coaches that could legitimately say that they were for a national championship. You know, there was a bunch of data that would suggest that you had to recruit in the top four nationally on a rotating basis over the previous four years in order to win a national championship. You had to have a top five uh, talent roster as far as the composite goes in all of college football for that season. Um, you know, that you had to have not just multiple five stars, but 10 or more five-star players 
that were on your roster. And, and what we saw, I even think back to even like 2012 and, and those years like Alabama, Notre Dame, between the best teams in the country and, and the teams that were just below them. And what I saw Monday night, and I think Washington falls in this as well, but Michigan winning the national championship is is very impactful because their last four years, they averaged a recruiting class that was outside of the top 10. Their talent composite was 14th in the country. They only had two five-star players on their entire roster. So it allowed, I think, access and hope to more teams throughout the country. And, and I think waking up on Tuesday morning, there were more fans in this sport that I love that felt like they had a chance to compete at the highest level. Morning, Joel. When we watched that game, clearly the end of the four-team playoff era, now it moves to 12 teams. Where, where are you at with the, with the move to 12 teams now that we've got the you know, change in conferences and you know, schools moving all over the country? Do you think it, it, it improves the product? There's no question that it does, and, and in a sense, it I think lies the answer lies within the the answer that I just gave. You know, access to more teams. We had really uh, created a, a situation where there was so few teams that that were playing at the top end of the sport, and they could legitimately say in living rooms, recruiting players all over the country, like, listen, you've got to come here if you want to uh, be a national champion. Um, and, and now that's different. And so the 12-team playoff, I believe, will allow more teams and fan bases to define themselves as successful. Mm. Um, previously in college football, before this 14-team playoff, you had an opportunity to define yourself as successful a multitude of different ways. Win your division, go to a bowl game, go to a New Year's bowl game, win that bowl game, uh, you play for a conference title, and you could raise money and recruit off of those things. But now with the 14-team playoff, the that was taken away because there was just one ultimate goal. Well, expanding that out, I think, is important. Um, we could get into a long answer of why I think 12 is better than 16. Uh, it mm. retains the importance of the regular season while also incentivizing the best teams to play hard at the end of the year uh, in, in terms of buys uh, and home games in the playoff. Sure, yeah. So I, I do think that the, the next era of college football is going to be an important one and, and one that is much needed. Joel, is Michigan's title tainted at all because of the cheating allegations? No, I, I don't believe that it is. I mean, think about it. They beat four top ten teams after the allegations, you know, after people have been fired and their staff had been fired and Harbaugh wasn't even on the sideline. They beat Penn State. They beat Ohio State. They beat Alabama. They beat Washington. So I, I don't think that there is any way that this is this is tainted. And I've said this before, and I know that there are people that disagree with this, but you know, the, the actual actions of Connor Stallions clearly broke the rules, and he and others should be dealt with depending on who knew and, and how much they knew and, and so on and so forth. Now, having said that, um, the, the actual sign-stealing in-game, if you know, if you, and this is going to sound arrogant, but Mike, oh, you're, the man, you fit, you're the man uh, to do it. <laughs> if you've been on the field oh. or, or in those situations, you, you'll know that there are a thousand factors going on on the field. And if you know a lot about football, if you have, have really been in the sport and been in those situations, you'll know that 
it actually impacted the game way less than others think. If you know little about football, you think that this was the ultimate thing on every play the entire game. And that's, that's not even close to accurate. So, and I know that, listen, that can, people can take that comment and run and, and, you know, other coaches have said it's a big deal. Yeah. The cheating is, is a big deal. The, 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 the way that stallions went and did that is a big deal. There, there's certainly a code of conduct and, and rules that he broke, but in game, every single program, every single coaching staff is stealing signals. I mean, this isn't even the most elaborate scheme that I've known of in the last 10 years. So is it tainted? No, not even close. It, it, I think it would have been tainted if we would have found out about this scheme after the fact. But the fact of the matter is, is that yeah. they went out and beat four top 10 teams in their last six games, did so without their head coach, without this quote unquote, you know, elaborate sign stealing operation. And they did so handily. And so from, from that standpoint, I think these kids deserve to be thought of as, as not only legitimate champions, but, you know, a, a very, in some ways, inspirational group, having dealt with all that adversity during the course of the season. I think that's a great point, Joel, because they proved it on the field, that they were the best team in the country, right? I mean, everybody was hand-wringing over Florida State not getting in, so they went out and beat Alabama. You know, I'm, I'm totally with you there. I am curious about now that the season is over, clearly in Broncos country, we could be looking ahead to drafting a quarterback. Where do you, where do you sit with the quarterback big board, and was, was it at all affected by the championship game? Well, <laughs> in some ways, possibly, you know, because every time, what's the old adage, right? The eye in the sky don't lie. Yeah. So every time that you go out and you play the Oh, do we lose him? He evaluated and waited. And the fact of the matter is that Michael Penix did not play at all. And I find it somewhat interesting. You know, if you just think about it from a big picture standpoint, the week prior, he's sitting on the sidelines after playing incredible. I mean, incredible Mm. against Texas. And he's watching Quinn Ewers drive down the field, and Quinn Ewers makes a massive mistake and throws a fourth down um, attempt to win the game basically out of bounds. When he has an open receiver, all he's got to do is just drive it on the back shoulder and Texas wins the game. If Texas wins the game, then the last thing that we've seen of Michael Penix in college football is one of the most incredible performances that we've ever seen. We put him in a Joe Burrow-esque category. He's probably drafted in the top six. Remember, it's nothing he did. He's sitting on the sideline. Now we go a week later, and now he's got to play the best pass defense and defense overall in college football. They have an incredible scheme. His offensive line does not play well. His wide receivers do not play well. He does not play well. And now I don't know if he's going to get drafted into the top ten. And so did it affect the board? Yes. Yes, I, I, I do think so. His injury status his career uh, and what he's dealt with with his knees and so on is going uh, there but for me it's still Caleb up top I think Drake May is, is my number two and now we're going to have some sort of right, uh, Jalen Daniel I'm sorry you got me Mike yeah we got you you're kind of breaking up 
a little bit off okay. and on there. Quick. I, was, I was just going to say, my big board is Caleb up top, Drake May at number two, and then some debate between you know Jalen Daniels and Michael Penix and, and maybe Bo Nix um, for that third spot. Is the gap between Williams and Drake May and those other quarterbacks significant enough in your mind that if you're the Broncos sitting at 12, you don't take a quarterback, you just take a really good football player, or is the gap close enough that if you're the Broncos, you, you do take one of those guys at 12? I think you got to really look at this. I think Michael Penix fits Sean Payton perfectly. I, re- I really do. Um, I, he's he's the guy that I think that Denver should target because they're not going to get Drake. They're not going to get Caleb unless they go way up there and, and give a lot, which where they're going to be from a salary cap perspective, I just don't think that they can do that. I think Daniels will probably be off the board, and they may have to move up a spot or two to try to get Penix, but th- that's the guy that I think they should target. If you watch what he does, He's required in that offense at Washington to about, you know, anywhere between, depending on the game, 15 to 30 times a game, he's asked to make NFL-style big boy throws. And not just to throw themselves, but the post-snap read, the ability to throw with timing and accuracy and anticipation. And he did that better than anybody in college football. So his game actually translates to the NFL more quickly and better than anybody else in the draft class. In fact, if you look at the guy this year who was a rookie that has played the best, C.J. Stroud, what you'll see is that the same thing could be said about what he did last year at Ohio State and then what he's asked to do with the Houston Texans. So in, in a lot of ways, you know, I think Penix could be the guy that early in his career has, has the, the most success. What about Bo Nix, Joel? You know, that is, we got a lot of reaction after the championship game about, well, Penix didn't play well and neither did McCarthy. Nix must be the guy, right? Because anything else must always be better. I watched Bo play in person this year. You know, it seems to me that I could, I could see Sean talking himself into that direction. Am I wrong there, Joel? No, he's going to, he's going to knock it out of the park when, when he meets with, with teams face to face, very mature, Mm -hmm. great head on his shoulders terrific player. Um, I'll, I'll just go back to kind of my previous answer. What he was asked to do at Oregon wasn't really, you know, what he would be asked to do in Sean's offense. Mm. Um, now that doesn't mean that he can't do that. I think Bo's an incredibly talented player. Um, he's, he's accurate in a lot of ways in particular in the short passing game. Uh, he, I think in a lot of ways reminds me of Drew Brees. Uh, although not as prolific of a passer and more athletic as a runner, he is smart and makes those decisions as a point guard more so than a guy that's going to stand in there and really drive the ball down the field right. like a like a Penix. Um, but the, I mean, it's interesting. I, I the hesitation you're hearing in my voice is the mm-hmm. fact that I just over the course of his 61 starts in college football. Bo was never asked to do what he would be asked to do in the NFL. Right. And those transitions, man, are hard. They are hard. And you see this with young quarterbacks all over. I mean, you, you even see it with a guy like Trevor Lawrence. This is why I think Pat Mahomes has had so much success is that he was able to, to sit and not get thrown into the fire early in his career. So uh, that's, that's an interesting one. 
Uh, Joel, last one for for me as we head into this uh, this off season. It's a, a mammoth off season for the Broncos. Uh, yesterday, the press conferences, uh, a chance for Sean Payton to do a lot of self evaluation as we move into this off season. Do you believe in Sean Payton? Yes, the, without a doubt. I thought that the coaching staff, in a lot of ways, was the star of the season with what we saw on the field early. And then the way that they changed and played in the middle of the season, um, the adjustments that the staff made was was pretty incredible. I've been around the guy. I, I believe in him. I think he's one of the, the excellent top-end coaches in the National Football League. And, and I do believe that he has a plan. He's not just doing this out of spite. He's not doing this from a personal standpoint. He's doing this because he has a plan of what he wants and envisions this team to be. I, I do believe I let's just put it this way. I believe a lot more in Sean Payton than I do Russell Wilson. Finally, real quick, 22nd answer, Jim Harbaugh, stay at Michigan or go to the NFL. I think he goes to the NFL. I think he's going to choose between the chargers and the commanders. Okay. Fair enough. Love Joel, it. you're the best. Thanks pal. Thanks Joel. You got it. See you boys. Joel Clatley, college football analyst at uh, Fox sports presented by Audi Flatter.